Thank you, Brother Rice. Psalm 127, let's stand together, please. And we're going to look at verse 1 and 2 tonight, but I want us to read through verse 3 as we're continuing this series of parenting that pleases God. And verse 3 talks about that of the children and the benefit and the blessing that they are. And so notice beginning in verse number 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Verse 3, Lo, the children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Tonight I want us to just have some mindsets before us. I, as I was working on this, I kept thinking this is way too simple. It's overly simplistic. But maybe that would be a help for us just to get these mindsets, not as practical as I would like for it to be, but just mindsets. Because God is the one who created the family. He invented the family. He gave us the instruction manual. And He has a plan for your family. And so tonight I want to ask the question, which is the title of the message, How are you building your home? How are you building your home? Everybody is, but how are you doing it? God gives us some mindsets that will help us in this matter of building our home. I, I, I don't want us to just gloss over this and for the simplistic aspect of it, miss the liberating part of it. Simple, yes, but it can be liberating if we would be doers instead of simply hearers. And so let's trust the Lord to help us with that. Lord, we do thank you for the power of the Word of God we do thank you that you are the inventor. We do thank you that you're the creator of the family. And you do give us the instruction. We have the manual. We need you. We need not the parts that we want, but we need you. We need to surrender tonight to you. So help us to do our part, trusting you to do yours. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. How are you building your home? In other words, who's in charge of your family? Who are you trusting to protect your marriage and instructing your children? God wants to build your home. But He understands that there are other options. Not successful, not effective options. Because He's the only one who can do it from the ground up. And this psalm points to the importance of allowing God to lead your family. No human energy, no amount of personal sacrifice or labor can ever accomplish as much as God's blessing can accomplish upon your life and upon your home. And that's the major message, I believe, of this psalm. It is assigned to Solomon, who is both a builder and a father. 
And he's telling us, put God first. Otherwise, all your efforts to build your family, lead your children, build your home, it will be in vain. It will be empty. It will be futile. So let's look at a, a few thoughts, three in particular tonight. Number one, in verse number one, he says, except the Lord build the house. Number one, God needs to be the one doing the constructing. God needs to do the constructing of our home. It's not, it's, it's, again, I said it's very simple and it's overly simplistic. And so that we could all say, well, we know that. But a lot of our problem is not what we don't know. It's what we're not applying. In fact, we've got more truth rolling around within our craniums. If we would just apply the truth we know, we would have revival in our country. And so these are mindsets that we must ask the Lord to embed upon our hearts that God needs to do the constructing unless the Lord builds a house. When it's time to build an actual home, you have a decision to make. Who's going to build it? Who's going to be your contractor? You want someone honest, efficient, affordable? You want to ensure that they do quality work for a reasonable price. When it comes to your home, your family, that is, you can't afford to settle for something that's just convenient, less than a perfect contractor, because you're not just adding brick and mortar and physical materials you're shaping hearts and minds. You're impacting generations to come. In fact, I believe that what you're doing in your home, as I mentioned last week, is it, we've got some of the greatest missionaries are the parents in our homes, and you are cultivating a group that it will perhaps bring the gospel to some unreached people group somewhere. That's the, the reason that we're here. So you're dealing with hearts, you're dealing with souls, not just of your children, but also your spouse. A wrecking crew or a demolition team can destroy something in a few hours or days, what it took engineers and builders months to plan and construct. And we need to be very careful that what we're utilizing would be builders, the right builder. And that's the Lord. Even a weak child can heedlessly destroy something valuable. But often, and too often, adults go through life just tearing things down. Not just things, but hearts. And the hearts of little ones. While God has called us to build our lives, build our homes, to build our churches in the kingdom of God, in the world in which we live, as Peter talked about this morning, as strangers in this world, we're to build something for the cause of Christ. And so when we talk about this matter of building, we're talking about construction. God is the one that is wanting to do some constructing work unless the Lord builds a house. Remember, this is a psalm. Of Solomon. If you'll remember, most of the Psalms are attributed to his father, David. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And I wonder if he wrote this Psalm with his father in mind. He had seen the successes and failures 
of his father. He knew intimately the blessings of righteous living, but he also knew of the dangers of sin. And this psalm makes it clear that there's only one builder whom you can depend upon. And he's telling us, unless the Lord build the house, unless the Lord, I saw my father do it, Solomon is saying, and we saw how he cut corners. Oh, he was used of God in some mighty areas in a battlefield, but he cut corners in the home and generations to follow were paying a price. Unless the Lord builds the house. In other words, there aren't a lot of choices you have. In fact, there's only one. There's only one right choice. You can seek to build your home or your family on your own wisdom, your financial successes, your hard work, your reputation. But in the end, if you don't allow God to build your house, to grow your family, it will all be for nothing. Oh, they might get the degree. They might have the, the, uh, the accolades of this world. They might make a name for themselves. They might make you proud in academics or athletics or some other kind of achievement. But without their living for the glory of God, the kingdom of God, the cause of Christ, it's empty. Amen. Number two, God not only needs to do the the constructing, he needs to do the protecting. Notice in verse 1, he said, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. See, the Lord is about protecting your home. When it comes to constructing, who's doing the building, but who's also doing the protecting of your home? Not only does the Lord provide the construction, He provides the protection. Many of the houses built in those days were built into the walls of the city. And so you had a watchman. And in other words, it's only the Lord who can build your family and protect your family because if He's not doing so, the watchman waketh but in vain. Otherwise, He's saying it's all a waste of time and effort in what we're doing for our families. The work, the labor, the time, the sacrifice. Unless we're looking to the Lord, not just for constructing it, but also for the protecting of it. Strong walls around the city and alert watchmen on those walls are essential to protect what we have built. So how foolish then it is to build and not to protect. Building and battling go together. Nehemiah chapter 4, you see this especially. Nehemiah's men had their tools in one side, one hand, and they had their sword at their side. They were building and battling, and they were ready for both at any given moment. We mentioned Spurgeon last Sunday. I'll mention him again tonight. The famous British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Baptist pastor, he had a publication that he called The Sword and the Trowel, T-R-O-W-E-L. The Sword and the Trowel, because its purpose, as he wrote it, was to build believers in the church and to fight sin and false doctrine. You can say all you want to your building, but what are you protecting? And many times what parents are doing to protect is actually undermining what they're attempting to build. Amen. 
Because you're protecting from the wrong thing. Sometimes they go into protection mode, which is really self-preservation. Trying not to be transparent. I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get drugged into the pastor's office. I'm not a principal. If you want the Lord to be your shepherd, the shepherd has given you an under-shepherd. And if you don't want to be found out, you're not following. You're not in protecting. You're in preserving yourself. You're not in growing disciples to follow God. You're in not being exposed for being a failing parent. So I just don't want anybody. Well, then the Lord is not your shepherd. I say the Lord is not your shepherd. Because if the Lord is your shepherd, he's going to lead. And he doesn't lead based upon how you see it or how you call it. But he leads based upon what he says. And what he says trumps how you feel and your interpretation of what you might think it says. Brother Cherry just said walking out of the office just minutes before the service. He said to me, you know what God left out of the Bible? I said, what's that? He said, your opinion. I said, that's good. Yeah, there's a reason he left it out of the Bible. Because it's not our word, it is his word. As Paul waited execution in a Roman prison, Paul encouraged Timothy to preach the word. And then he went on to tell him, be watchful in all things. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. See, the psalmist is saying our building will be in vain and empty. And if you notice in verse 1, you have the word vain mentioned twice. In verse 2, you have the word vain mentioned again. He's telling us it's empty, it's futile. But you just go right on ahead and try it anyway. But he's telling you, I've been there, I've done it. God's using the smartest man who ever lived, the wisest man to tell us it is futile, it's empty to try to build without protecting God's way. Our building in vain as parents, as teachers, as church leaders, no matter how courageously, no matter how how energetically we may do it, we need God's word applied God's way. You're familiar with the Great Wall of China. I'm always amazed at these things as I I uh, keep looking at historical aspects, but the Great Wall of China is the only man-made structure that can be seen on the moon. It's about the size of one of these water cups, I, I've concluded. It is 3,460 kilometers long. It was built over a period of 2,000 years. It was built so high that nobody could climb over and so thick that nobody could break it down. Yet during the first 100 years of the wall's existence, China was invaded three times. Why? Well, not once did the enemy break down the wall or climb over it. It was built correctly. But each time the enemies bribed the gatekeeper and they just marched right on through. And the devil's doing the exact same thing in our homes who sit in Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches all the time. It's coming right through the, the gate. The gate of reasoning. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. 
Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy path. But you begin to compromise in the area of, remember Song of Solomon chapter 2 says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And that's the thing that I hear most often in a conversation where there's a crisis in a person's soul. Well, it's just a little thing. It's not really a big, it's just a real small, small little thing. It's just something little. And don't you know that the devil knows, however, what little thing might be the exact thing that would undermine all the building that you're doing? These verses highlight the foolishness of trying to protect a city in our own strength alone, of just relying on our own abilities and resources to get the job done. Listen, there's a better way to protect your city and your family or your marriage and your children. It's not self-confidence. It's not self-reliance. It's not depending on our own gifts and talents, but instead the psalmist tells us to trust and depend on the Lord. He must be the ultimate source of our security. Listen, too often men capitulate to make their wife happy. Quit listening to what the, the, the hand rags and the t-shirts and the Instagram posts say. And if your wife ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, God's happiness is not contingent upon how happy your wife might be. And your wife's happiness is not contingent upon what you do. It's contingent upon her relationship with the Lord. And we're going to get to that in Peter if you don't pass out before we get there. But he's going to talk about how a husband can be one with the conversation, not the speaking. God knows this. That's not the answer. But with the lifestyle, the way a wife lives before God, holy and right with God, well, she can persuade even an unsaved husband. You know, but some of you, are, you're just going to go ahead and just keep on nagging. And Solomon says, it's foolish. But what's even more foolish is for the husband to buy into it. Hey, when your children know the one who's in charge is really mom, husbands, you need to make a beeline to God. And just go ahead and admit what everybody else has been saying and what God knows to be true. And let's change it, else you're undermining all the building that has been taking place. Listen, you don't know when you're going to take your last breath, but I'm telling you, you will. I don't know when you're going to stand before God. I'm just telling you, you will. And I'm saying that you can lean onto your own understanding. It's never been a good idea up to this point, and it'll never be a good idea after this point. Listen, ladies, you need to get a hold of the fact that he's God, you're not. Husbands, be strong and of good courage. God made you a man. And if you decided to get married, you think it was a bad idea. It is now God's will. Be strong and of good courage. He's God. You're not. God is the designer. He's the one who gave the blueprints. He's the one who set it up the way it should work. Quit capitulating just because she's griping and complaining, because she's moody, because she's going through a phase of life and she can't even regulate the temperature correctly. What makes you think you ought to do what Adam did and lose everything that God has been doing through you? Put your face in the book and don't get up until you have the conviction in your soul that God is right. 
stop letting her lead. You walk into a restaurant, you go before the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the hostess there, don't let your wife be the one to tell them how many. You do that. Don't let her have to order. You can do some of that. Don't let her be the ones to, to raise the children. You do that. You step up, you step in, and you lead the way. Well, she just ain't going to be happy. Did you not hear what I just said? Happiness is contingent upon a relationship with God. It's not contingent upon her getting her own way. You know what's going to happen if you don't change that? She's going to go on blaming everybody else and fail to recognize she's got an awful lot of responsibility for what's wrong in the home. Uh, Eve, you see that wasn't a good idea? No, no, it wasn't my fault. Adam, no, it wasn't my fault. It was, it was the serpent. Well, he didn't have a leg to stand on. Everybody's blaming and that's what happens. We never have revival. We're never going to see our homes set on fire for God until we get to the place of taking responsibility and stop shifting the blame. Listen, I've said it over and over. I've said it about 30 times this past week. You can make an excuse or you can make a way to God, but you can't do both. You cannot do both. You can't do both. So there needs to be some protecting of the investing that's taking place. Number three. This is the last one. Simple. I apologize for the simplicity of it. I just can't get around. This is all I could do. Number two, or excuse me, number three is in verse two. He says, it's vain for you to rise up early to sit up late. Now, there are some students right there that say amen because they believe that they just found theology that will say, I can't get up too early in the morning. I really thought that that was my ticket in Bible college to not have to go to Greek, Greek class at 7 a.m. in the morning. That's where the coffee started in my life. Greek at 7, breakfast was at 6.30, and we couldn't go in our pajamas like, like people do today. I, mean, I went dressed like I am now at 6.30 in the morning, and so I thought, hey, this is, this, is, this is the excuse it didn't fly for the teacher, and, um, and it certainly isn't going to fly for us. And so verse 2, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Number three, not only does God need to do the constructing and the protecting, number three, he needs to do the enabling. He's the one who supplies the strength and the energy. Listen, when you're building, you need to decide who will build the house. Yes, what kind of house you will build, a house for God or a house for yourself. And once you choose your builder, you need to decide on the plan. You've got to look at the blueprints of what he said, the authority of the word of God, what you, what, what you need to do and don't do. And then you've got to get your protecting in there. Make sure you've got those battlements there as they would have in those Old Testament homes, those battlements that would protect the home and and then you need to recognize all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. You know, we need God's enabling. When he says this matter of it's empty, foolish, to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, what he's getting across is 
it never pays off just to be in a rat race. Just to be anxiously toiling. Verse 1, he warns against overconfidence. We can't do it without God's help. And verse number 2, he's warning against overwork and anxiety. In other words, verse 1, overconfidence. We can do it. I've read the books. I've got the philosophy. I've taken some counseling courses. My mama has told me how to do it. I can do this. And verse number two is talking about this overworking and anxiety that says, I've got to do it now. We've got to do it now. You see, this verse does not say it's wrong for people to get up early, work hard, and make sacrifices. It's not what verse two is saying. It's warning us that our work must be a blessing we're enjoying and not a burden that we endure. And too often, too many of God's people they're facing burdens of the Christian life when the Christian life ought to be the blessing. What, why does it become a burden? Brother Donnie mentioned in the challenge today, we've been taught, we've taught, preachers have given the idea that this matter of the Christian life is about don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And he said it was liberating to start hearing things we've got to do. But even if we're not careful, we can go into, that just adds more rocks to the burdens. Don't do this. Now do this. And we've just got even more burdens when the, the key of the Christian life is not what we do and don't do. It's who are we depending upon? And so the warning here applies to every family in this building. It's dangerous to get caught up in the rat race of life. It's damaging for a family never to have any downtime, always running and rushing from one practice to the next, one rehearsal to the next, one event to the next. We are caught up in a rat race. And the world promises all kinds of benefits if you'll keep pushing and working and running. I say I am even more committed in this upcoming year to make our calendar, our church calendar count. And I want to trim off anything that doesn't need to be there. I want us to not fall into the mindset that I've got to seek first my kingdom, but rather still seek first the kingdom of God, but to manage not just our effort, but to manage also our energy. And I think we've got to do that outside of the church. I want to help our families not undermine, so I, I, I'm very, very determined and will succeed with God's help in helping us as a church family, which will help our families as units. Now listen to my warning carefully. If we don't see, I know it's a simple mindset that God needs to do the enabling, but if we are not careful, we're going to sacrifice our spiritual health to make our kids better ball players, smarter students, better snow skiers or water skiers or fishermen or hunters or even instrumentalists. But when your children discover that you will sacrifice church attendance and the things of God for success in the eyes of the world, they learn something very important and very dangerous. They learn what you truly value. And when church is no longer the priority for your family, don't be surprised when you raise a child that 
thinks it's totally unnecessary. Don't you know what the Bible calls of all this effort to be a success in the eyes of the world? This anxious working, you know what the Bible calls this? Vanity. 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 Emptiness. Foolishness. That means all the effort and energy you expend to be a success in the eyes of the world only end up in pain, sorrow, and displeasure. It's a race you never win. Someone said the trouble with being in a rat race is even if you win, you're still a rat. It's just emptiness. Another way to say that. Now, notice the contrast in verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. That's anxious working. Notice the contrast. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. You toss and turn on your pillow. Sleep escapes you. You can find no rest. You wake up the next day. You head out the door to chase another dollar or make a new deal. Then there's God's way. God's way. What is God's way? Come to Jesus. Stay with him. And put it another way. Experience God. Jesus said, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find Another rest unto your soul. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is. Yeah. That's the contrast from what the world offers. If you follow God's plan, you can have a relationship. Listen, let me me just make a statement here about our Sabbath. Let me kind of qualify our Sunday. As people say, this day of rest, I ain't never got no rest on Sunday. Well, let me explain to you what this Sabbath idea is about. It's uncluttered time and space to distance ourselves from the frenzy of our own activities so we can see what God has been and is doing. If we do not regularly quit work for at least one day a week, we take ourselves far too seriously. See, the moral sweat pouring off of our brows blinds us to the divine act of God and the work of God in us and around us. So the Sabbath-keeping idea, the Sunday, is quieting the internal noise so we hear the still, small voice of our Lord, removing the distractions of pride so we can discern the presence of Christ. That's the significance. It's not so that you can just go out on the beach or head to the lake or go see grandma and grandpa. Oh, got to go see, see mama. Got to take the kids, go see mama. Why don't you try that on Saturday? That'd be a good idea. Especially if they live within driving distance. Unless you're going to China, it's all driving distance. Why don't you just take off work and do that? See, this idea is not, I need a break from God. 
Now, I'm telling you, you can be in a rat race in religion, and that's not the answer. The whole book of Galatians is about getting out of this meritorious living, but it's to put yourself in a place of accessing enabling grace. Why? Because it helps me remember what really and truly is most important. Him. His church. His kingdom. I love the fact that he says he gives his beloved sleep. This is more than rest. It's spiritual health and strength and vitality. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute says this about sleep. Sleep plays a vital role in good health, well-being throughout your life. Good health and well-being throughout your life. This is the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. They say getting enough quality sleep at the right times can help protect your mental health, your physical health, and quality of life and safety. During sleep, your body works to support healthy brain functions and maintain physical health. In children and teens, sleep also helps support growth and development. The damage from sleep deficiency can occur in an instant, such as a car crash, or, if, or it can harm you over time. For example, ongoing sleep deficiency can raise your risk for some chronic health problems. It also can affect how well you think, react, work, learn, and get along with others. And doesn't that make you want to incorporate some afternoon naps? And I'm telling you, that's not a bad, no nap, no snap. Some of you need to adjust it from 5.30 to about, let's say, 3.30 and get you a brief nap in there because now's not the time to do it. And the Bible says God is the one that gives his beloved, his especially loved, his favored people, rest, sleep. I love the story of the boy sitting on his father's lap as they're looking into a mirror. The boy said to his dad, Dad, who made me? Dad said, God made you, son. He said, Dad, who made you? Dad said, well, God made me, son. The boy said, Dad, who made Grandpa? And he said, well, son, God made him. He said, Dad, who made great-granddad? Father said, God made him too, son. Why do you ask? The boy took one look back in the mirror and said, well, it just seems to me that God's been doing better in these recent years. God will do a better job than we ever can do. We think we can take it all ourselves. We think we can make a few adjustments nobody will know. We think that we can apply most of the construction principles and following God's blueprint. We think that we can have the greatest wall protecting our home and yet we just have a few chinks in the armor or a few um, places that are unprotected and it not matter. Listen, God builds the house. God protects the house. God is the one who wants to enable the house. 
Jesus told the story about two men, one who built his house upon a rock and another who built his house upon the sand. It makes no difference how well you build it if you have it on the wrong foundation. And we find that in Matthew chapter number 7 in verse 24 and following. And the house built upon the rock weathered the storm and the builders called wise. But the house built upon sand collapsed during the storm. And the builder is called foolish. The meaning of that parable is simply this. Proper foundations are necessary. And the proper foundation we must all carry with us is that God is the builder, God is the protector, and God is to be the enabler. Let's stand together, please.